This morning I want to continue our brief series on joy. This is the fifth message on joy now. If you're going all the way back with me, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Uh, and that's where we're at, uh, talking about the person work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's works in us the fruit of joy. Next week we'll move on to, to peace. But as I got thinking about joy, I said, man, there's, there's just so much here. And one thing that came to me in my study was the concept of a joyful Jesus. And I have never heard anybody preach on a joyful Jesus, which may indicate I'm hanging out with the wrong kind of folks. I don't know. But um, so I said, well, I'm going to study that and uh, bring some of it to you this morning. Um, how many of you are just a little bit self-conscious? I mean, were some of you wondering if people were going to look around during that last song and see you weren't smiling? You know, you're a little, little self-conscious. Or, or they were going to see you, you can't clap. You know, sometimes you just miss and then you can't get back on. And, uh, or they were going to see you were dancing. And you really wanted to cut loose, but it's a little bit self-conscious. You know, we have that problem. And uh, I've had it for such a long time. I I'm, I'm wonder if I'll ever get rid of it. Um, it. If there was one thing I could change, you know, about my physical appearance, uh, I'd change my eyelids. Now, if you're laughing, it's because you're not old. And you don't get it. But my eyelids kind of are droopy, you know. They sag a little bit. I can't tell you... The number of times my family has said to me, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong. Well, you look like something's wrong. And so then I try to open my eyes wide. And then they say, what's up? What's up? You know, and I, I, can't, I can't solve it. I can't fix it. And it bothers me, and I have to constantly say, Trust me when I say I'm really a lot happier than I look. I really have been filled with God's Spirit. I have the joy of the Lord. It just doesn't look like it sometimes. Well, there's someone else who is probably a lot happier than you've ever imagined and ever thought, and that's Jesus. I want to introduce you this morning to the joyful Jesus. I want you to see He is the happiest being that has ever lived. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It's a quote from the Psalms. It's referring to Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's start at verse 5 so we'll get the whole quote. It says, For to which of the angels did he say, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. We know it's to Christ that he said this, God speaking about Christ. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But, goes back to the son, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. 
Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Stop and think about that. God has anointed Christ with the oil of gladness so that his happiness, his joy is greater than his companions. There was nobody that walked with Jesus who was happier than Jesus. There's no family member of Jesus, his church, that is happier than Jesus. God declares and God knows that Jesus is, has a happiness that is above our happiness. And you see, that just makes sense. Because we've seen from Psalm 1611 that in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It just makes logical sense that if he is the fountain and source of all joy, that he would be happier than all of us, than any of us, more happy than any or all of us. And that's precisely the declaration. He has been anointed with the oil of gladness so that his heart, his spirit abounds with great joy. He's like Pharrell Williams would say, he's a room without a roof. You know, his happiness blows the lid off. It blows the roof off. It should blow our minds that he is so happy and so joyful and so excited. You know, uh, some of you, if you're like me, you struggle with that a little bit. Because you know of a sorrowful Jesus. But you stop and think about it for a minute. I know of the time where he got angry at his disciples because they didn't let the kids come. How long did that anger last? A few moments? You know, I know of the time where he wept at Lazarus' tomb, but how long did that last? Maybe an hour? And certainly we know about the the anguish of the crucifixion. He's partying the night before the Last Supper. The crucifixion was gruesome, yes. But how long did that last? Six hours? Maybe a little more? You know, when you stop and think about it, you've, you've known about agony and pain and the sorrow of Jesus, but you start adding up all the times that you know where he would have been sad and angry, and you come up with a handful or so. How many of us would trade a life of joy for just a handful of sad days? His life was full of joy. And we focus on, many times, just those few hours or days when there was sadness, and we really haven't embraced the concept that he is the fullness of joy. And he's filled with joy. Let me introduce you to Peter's first sermon. Look at Acts chapter 2. Right after the resurrection of Christ, this is Pentecost, 50 days later, Peter stands up as the lead disciple, and he begins to preach. And it would be real easy for him to get mad and say, y'all crucified my Lord and just blast people. But notice the, the theme of gladness in this sermon. 
Acts 2, beginning at verse 22, I mean, he acknowledges the sin, starts with that. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end, and here's kind of the prelude, what Jesus did is destroyed the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exulted. It's like God saying to God, let's get happy, let's get glad, let's exult, let's rejoice. Agony is ended. It goes on, verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. It's like a dialogue between God and God at the, the death point of the crucifixion, he, he goes into the tomb. He's raised to paradise. He said, it's time to get happy. We just burst through the walls of the grave. We just burst through death. We just ascended to glory. And, and, and that's Peter's message. That's, he's preaching this sermon. He's preaching it to all these these folks who were, a lot of them were part of the crucifixion mob and crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. He doesn't deny that. He says, but who would crucify the happiest person on earth? That's what you did. You, you put to death the one who is fullness of joy even now, he's glad. Even now, he's rejoicing. Even now, he's defeated the agony of death and continues to rejoice. And then people sign up and say, how do I get him in my life? I want some of that happiness. I want some of that victory. They come to Peter, what, what can we do to be saved? They weren't signing up for a sorrowful, mournful Jesus. But they were signing up for a victorious, celebratory Jesus. It was exciting to have Him in us so that we can live with Him forevermore. That was Peter's message, a message of eternal happiness, presenting to them a God of great Joy, I can't keep from hearing the angel's message in my mind. Behold, I mean, didn't they acknowledge this to us? Behold, I have good news of what? Great joy. I want to introduce to you, Jesus, I have good news of great joy. He's coming into the world. He's opening the doors of heaven for us. Now, I didn't... I wasn't raised with that. My view of Jesus was man of sorrows. Oh, what a name. I didn't even hear the rest of the song. I'm aware 
we sing this song called Man of Sorrows by Philip Bliss. But do we, do we miss its conclusion? Man of Sorrow, what a name. Hallelujah! What a Savior. That's the refrain. Where does that come from? It comes from Isaiah 53. Let's look at it real quick. Isaiah 53, this phrase, Man of Sorrows. Seems like this is where I spent a lot of my years hanging out and thinking of Christ as just full of sorrow. But even Isaiah 53 will not allow us to stay there. It's in verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows. The next phrase, acquainted with grief. It's not overcome with grief, overwhelmed by grief, but more acquainted with grief. And man of literally, of pain. He was experiencing the pain, the agony of the crucifixion, of death. He was taking the sting of death for us. Yes, he's got to go through that, but he, the Isaiah goes on that he goes through it like a, a peaceful lamb. A sheep being led to slaughter. He's not even crying out. So yes, he was going to be acquainted with grief. But he goes through that. We'll see, even goes through that, endures that with joy. So this concept of him being just constantly a man of sorrows is, is, is not in the text. Matter of fact, the text goes on. If you, if you keep reading it, uh, jump over to verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Just dwell on that a little bit. God the Father finds pleasure, finds happiness in crucifying Jesus. Remember Acts 2, Peter says, according to God the Father's predetermined plan. God was doing this, even though men were doing this. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. So it's like he didn't have the grief. He acquaints him with grief if, it goes on, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, it almost seems so momentary here when you really look at it. As a result of this momentary anguish, he will see it, Catch this, or underline it, circle it, and be satisfied. Translated, he will have fun and get happy. He will see the result of his anguish is going to take him to a place of fun and happiness. And he continues that thought by his knowledge, the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. He begins this imagery of Christ being a victorious warrior. He says he's going to be crucified, he's going to be acquainted with grief, and then he's going to, he's going to defeat Satan himself. He's going to defeat the grave. He's going to defeat sin. He's going to bear our iniquities. He's going to bear our grief. He's going to bear our pain. And then he's going to rejoice. He's going to start dancing. He's going to be glad. And he's going to be able to divide the booty with the strong, take the strongest 
person in the army, he says, he gets to pass out stuff to them because he's even stronger and greater in all that he's done. I mean, picture that movie where you're the leading person and you've got to go, you're in war and the enemy is trying to escape across a bridge, so you got to get to the bridge before they get there so that you can trap them, and you got to blow up the bridge, and then you'll win the war. And in the process of trying to get to that bridge, you, you crawl over a landmine or something, you blow off an arm or you blow off a leg, and, but you still crawl, and you still make it, and you blow up the bridge. And when you blow up the bridge, the war's over, and you won. So you were acquainted with grief. But now you're in such a state of victory. You can't help but celebrate. Your pain was momentary. The victory lasts and lasts and lasts. And that's the picture Isaiah is giving us of Jesus. He did what was necessary for our salvation. And it brought him such pleasure to do so. And it brought God the Father such pleasure to send him there. So we've got a happy Jesus. Let's look at Jesus, what looks to be, since Luke is trying to be a chronological gospel teller, looks to be Jesus' first sermon. Peter's first sermon was of glad Jesus. Look at Jesus' first sermon. Look with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and which is why I say that you know Luke was trying to chronology chronologically set things in place. So in the first part of, uh, well, chapter 3 of Luke, Jesus is baptized. He's anointed as priest to go into priestly ministry. As soon as that happens, chapter 4, verse 1, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted. He meets Satan, does battle with Satan. That battle's over at verse 12. Verse 13, we pick up the story. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him for an opportune time. All right, so Jesus has turned 30. He can now be a priest. He was anointed as priest at his baptism. He begins his priestly ministry, does battle with Satan right off, and then he begins to preach. And that's where we pick up the story. So Satan's done, verse 14, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. I'm thinking Luke left something out here. How, how could the news be spreading around all, so quickly? Well, you perhaps forget John the Baptist has been preaching for six months, preparing folks. You know, someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming. Well, that someone's Jesus. And he's been pointed out, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the news began to spread about him through all the surrounding districts. And he began, verse 15, teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth. So he's teaching in every synagogue there that he's coming to. As had been, uh, so what is it? He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, just told us his custom was to go to synagogues. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. He went into the synagogue. They may not have the whole Bible, which was the Old Testament at that point. Whatever they had, you had to use. The preacher didn't get to prepare his message ahead of time a lot of times. You use what you got. So he comes into this synagogue, and they hand him Isaiah. 
And he says, okay. Starts going through the scroll. Let's, let's pick something out of Isaiah to preach on. And he reads. He must have been a great reader. It's like it was his custom. Here, here, here he is. Let's, here's the priest. Let's let him read. So uh, verse 17, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. I love that. Every time I see it, I should be sitting. Y'all should be standing. You know, we've got this all wrong. Then we wouldn't have to buy but one chair. You don't mind. <clears throat> so, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. I mean, he was preaching a happy message, a gracious message, talking about how uh, poor people become rich, how people in bondage are set free. And he's preaching this from Isaiah. Now, where in Isaiah? It's in Isaiah 61. If you turn there, I don't know if it, if it's this way for you, but when I turned and looked it up, I said, now, where is he preaching from? And I said, oh, it's Isaiah 61. The first, first few verses is a direct quote. If, I, I like to read all the way through the Bible, you know, constantly. And when I come to Isaiah 61, I can't ever stop until I get to the end of 62 because it's just such a happy, fun passage. It just builds with excitement and victory and, and release uh, to, to, to all of God's people. It's, it's just a real fun passage. That's the passage Jesus picked for this first recorded sermon. Are you going to give me Isaiah? Well, let's go to chapter 61. That's fun. And he goes there. I'll look over at uh, uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 61. He says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And Jesus is saying, this passage is about me. And you start looking at this passage, you see, he's declaring he's, he's, he's the Savior. He's the glorious victor. He is one at all. He has a garland around his neck. They're putting crowns on his head. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lord of glory. It never says he's the Lord of misery. Because that's unfair. He's acquainted with misery and grief. And he's certainly Lord over it. But he's defeated it as well. And he's, he's glorious. Happy. Joyful. Savior, his sermon declares that happiness. Um, yeah, crucifixion was tough, perhaps his worst day, but it doesn't reveal his 
day-to-day temperament, even though it, it hints that it does, that he, he was pleased to do that for us. His day-to-day temperament is, is one of great joy. It seems to be his sermons were, were sermons of great joy as a victorious a warrior that he was. He was the joyful king. So happy should be our new normal, right? Do you have a happy view of Jesus? Are you happy? Are you happier than you look? Come on, guys. <laughs> Maybe you need some eyelid problem surgery, too. You know, I look out at this room. You're my family. You're my friends. I pray for you. And I know some of you are in pain just sitting there. Some of you have chronic pain. Some of you have pain that you will live with till you die. I hate telling people that. But I see it and I know it. And you know it. I said, you know, this is probably a pain that you will take to the grave. It's like Paul's thorn in the flesh. You can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can pray for God to take the pain away and he just won't. So you're going to have this pain for the rest of your life. How then do we learn to live with daily chronic pain and be happy? And be joyful? How do we get into this lifestyle where happy is indeed the new normal. The answer's in 2 Corinthians 4. Let me show you that to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember, I think it was last week, I shared with you 2 Corinthians, or two weeks ago, chapter 7. And you need to know that. If you don't, you weren't here for that. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Paul says, I've learned to rejoice in all our affliction. So you can honestly say, you can be real to people. How are you doing? I'm rejoicing in all our affliction. I'm not denying that I have affliction. I'm not denying that I have daily pain. But in the midst of that pain, I am rejoicing. How do you do that? He gives you the answer in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us. So this pain is is, is a good thing. It's producing something. Producing for us an eternal Weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. He said, stop and think about that. He says, he said, I, I call it light affliction. Even though for him it was a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed earnestly that God would take it. God wouldn't. And he says, this, this chronic pain, it's, we've got to start seeing it as light in comparison to this weighty, eternal happiness that it's producing. We're going through birth pains. And it is painful. But we're going to burst forth into happy. That's eternal. So verse 18 he says, So while we look, not at the things which are seen. So we don't keep looking at our pain. That's not where our focus is. Because all the things which are... But we look at all the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, this painful body, it's temporal, it's temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. He says the way you get to the happy normal is is you fix your eyes on what Jesus is doing through your pain. You fix your eyes on where Jesus is taking you through your pain. 
And he's taking you to where he is, and in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, all that he's doing is pleasures forevermore. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and you're going to a place of eternal happiness. So we can rejoice in all our afflictions. We can really live out the Romans 8.28. Are you scared today? Are you afraid? Is it too painful for you? No, because I know God is working all things together for good. I know where he's taking me. I know where I'm going. You can't see it, but I know it's there. It's Jesus, and it's Jesus' heaven, and it's eternal, unbelievable bliss. It's glorious what God is doing. Though I die, I will live. And I'm going to live in this eternal state of unbelievable happiness. Happiness is the Lord's last word. Um, It's eternal happiness. We shouldn't expect life to be easy now. Look at it like surgery. The pain we're going through. Say, is it too much? No, no, no. I expect, I'm under the knife. I expect while I'm under the knife in surgery to be experiencing pain. But the surgery is going to work things out for good. I'm going to be better, and it's going to get glorious. So I rejoice in these afflictions because it's, it's God's way of doing surgery to, to bring me to this wonderful, happy, healed conclusion um, one of my favorite phrases, and I know somebody who's written a song about it, but it's not popular. Nobody's singing it. But one of my favorite phrases is Psalm 30. Turn there. Maybe it become one of your favorite uh, phrases too. Psalm 30, let's see, it's verse 11. And here's the phrase, and if you're, if you're not turning and you're, not, you're just listening to me, there's two, in our pronunciation, when we say mourn, we don't know what the mourn is without the context. The mourn here is M-O-U-R-N, not just M-O-R-N. It's not the dawn, the morning, but it's, it's sorrow, sorrowful life. And it, here's the phrase, you have turned for me my mourning, my sorrow, my mourning in to dancing. It goes on and says, you've girded me with gladness. See, God, I, I love that phrase. God, you've taken my sorrow and you've turned it into skipping. You've taken my pain and you've turned it into pleasure. You've turned my hurt, you've taken my hurt and you've turned it into happy. That's what God does for us. So that I'm clothed with gladness. It's, it is the new normal. It's not a denial of the hurt or the mourning. But it's, it's seeing the process of what God is doing for us. And we see that when we look at Jesus. It's what he did in Jesus. Uh, it's what he does for us. So if you're not there, you got work to do. When I'm not there, I got work to do. How do we we look at Jesus and turn our our life into a, a new life of always rejoicing in all our afflictions? So let me give you four things. First, look at Hebrews twelve, 
1 through 3. How do we follow a joyful Jesus? We do it the way he did it. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and it says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Does that make you a little self-conscious? There are more people looking at you than you realize. Let us... So if you want to impress, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And maybe that sin is not to be thankful to God for the pain you're going through. Because it's messing you up. Let us lay that aside. And let us run with endurance the way, race that is set before us. It didn't say you had to run pain-free. It didn't say you had to run healed. You just have to endure. Just hold on. Endure the race before you. Doing what? Number two, verse two. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So just consider it. Here's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's being crucified. He's sitting there on the cross saying, Lord, forgive them. They just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. But what I'm doing here is defeating Satan. I'm defeating sin. I'm defeating the agony of the grave. And I will be exalted he, he had always before him the joy set before him. He had his mind fixed on where he was headed, where he was going, what was going to happen there. And what was going to happen there would be an eternal celebration. And so we have thousands of witnesses around us looking to see, do we get this? Are we getting bogged down, entangled with our pain to such a degree that we don't endure for the joy set before us? We must look at Jesus, and he's the joyful Jesus. It's only looking at the joyful Jesus do we see the joy set before us. He's victor. He's the winner. He celebrates his victory and his win day after day. That's why I say every Sunday is resurrection day for us. It's victory day for us. Our culture doesn't get it. They want to celebrate that once a year. Call it Easter. We celebrate it every Sunday. We call it Sabbath rest. Who is the God who designs rest and celebration for his people? And yet that's what our God has done. It's just rest in me. Fix your eyes on me. Look at me. I'm the joyful one. I'm where you want to come. I'm where you want to be. Because in my presence is fullness of joy. And what I do with my hands, it's happiness forevermore. 
Uh, you remember Philippians 1.6. It says, if I have begun a good work in you, I will complete it. Fix your mind on that. What's the completion of the race? You win in Christ. You celebrate in Christ. For how long? It's eternal. The things here are temporal. They're passing away. They're, they're little. They're small in comparison to this glorious celebration that lasts for us. Will we be doing stuff in heaven? Yes. It will be wonderful stuff, happy stuff, eternal stuff, unending, irrevocable joy awaits us. So endure life for the joy. I know you may be in pain, but endure life for the joy set before you in Christ so that you might rejoice in whatever surgery he's doing on you right now. Second, begin each day with an expression of joy. Begin each day with an expression of joy. You know Philippians, I mean, excuse me. Yeah, Philippians 4, 4, it's a command. It's a command. Rejoice and again, I say, rejoice. So we're commanded. Who's a God who commands us to be happy? Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. And the way you, you do that, he says, he says, you make every request known unto God. And you present it with thankfulness. Don't just pray. Be happy about it. That you got to pray. And pray about everything. Be thankful for everything. So begin your day with thankfulness, with celebration. Do what you know is right, and what you know is right is to rejoice. When's the last time you thanked Jesus for winning? Have you thanked Jesus for your salvation? Wake up out of bed and, and say, God, thank you for a new day to celebrate resurrection. I just rose, but I will rise eternally in you. See, you're set not keeping your eyes fixed on the temporal, keeping your eyes fixed on the eternal. You're doing something glorious today, and, and I thank you for it. I rejoice that I, that I get to walk around today as one who is more than conquerors, that I will never be separated from your love. Nothing I experience today will remove me from your presence, and in your presence is the fullness of joy. So endure for the joy that's set before you. And then second, begin each day expressing that joy to God, thanking Him, praising Him. Uh, John 15, verse 11 uh, is a passage where, where Jesus says, you know, that He says, I'm divine, you're the branch. He says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in my word, keep my commandments, pray. He says, and the result of all that, John 15, 11, is so that your joy can be complete. If you'll just go through the day getting into me, in my word, following my ways, you're going to have joy that's going to be full and complete. And Jesus, and that's what I want for you. I'm the joyful Jesus who wants his church to celebrate and to be joyful. Third, if you haven't done it by now, repent of being a sourpuss. Okay? Don't repeat that. Repent of it. Repent of being sour. Repent of being uh, angry too long. Repent of being gloom and doom too long. Turn away from that. 
You're commanded to rejoice. You're not commanded... Uh, yes, there is a command to be sorrowful for a time, but the sorrow unto repentance. So that you turn from that sorrow and go back to Jesus. So if you need to apologize to your family and your friends, do that. And turn from that lifestyle that God has not designed for you. He's designed for us this lifestyle of victory. How do we do that? We repent and we turn to the Lord. I, I need to repent. I need to quit focusing all about life, all about me, all about my pain, all about my agony. That's the temporal stuff. I need to get past that and I need to start looking at where I'm going so that I don't keep stumbling and falling. I need to look at Jesus and I need to look at the joy set before me. Number four, begin to develop your joy in God. Develop your joy in God. Just thank Him more and more that He's your master. He is one. He's a happy master. Oh, I like that. I've never enjoyed working for a boss that wasn't happy. It's miserable. But Jesus is happy. You go to Him with problems, He's happy to help you. He's happy to lead you. Develop a better concept of that. To, 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 to dwell on the joy set before Him is the joy He set before us. He's there, um, and He's enjoying a good time. You know, I feel like I've just scratched the surface of getting into the joyful Jesus and would love to go all the way back through the Bible and begin to see this expression of our God that He designed week-long, sometimes three-week-long feast and celebrations. How He designed it to be such a happy time. How He designed one day in seven to be a Sabbath rest. How He designed designed other Sabbath feasts to go along with that. How he's developed the, the Lord's Supper just reminds us of his goodness, his nurture to him. He's done so many things to build into this life, into the church's life, joy and gladness. And somehow along the way, I put the goal in front of me that what I'm shooting for, what I need to become, is something that looks like a Pharisee. That's not the goal. The goal is not to look like a Pharisee who grudgingly goes through life making sure they know all the commands and keeps all the commands and does everything. No, the joy set before us is Jesus. And we want to be like Jesus. And he doesn't look like a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, when the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why is that? Maybe because it was so much his custom to, to love a party. And he was around those folks who were eating and drinking and celebrating. And the Pharisees couldn't ever get it. And it made them mad. And we turn and want to become like them when it's wrong. We need to be like Jesus. Well, let me 
transition into the Lord's Supper with you. And I'm going to pick a passage. I'm going to pretend I came into the synagogue and they handed me the book of Isaiah. Jesus liked going there. I do too. More and more. Isaiah 25. Verse 6 through 8. It says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavished banquet. You know what that literally means? Lavished banquet. A feast of fat things. The Lord of hosts will prepare a feast of fat things. For all peoples, meaning Jew and Gentile, on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Psalm 104.15 says, And the Lord has made wine to make man's heart glad and his face to shine with brightness. And God provides these delicious meats and wines. And it goes on. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all the people. Even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. And he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. Isn't that wonderful? Isaiah's looking, says, to a mountain. We know it is Mount Zion. We know it is a mountain called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. He's looking to that time where Christ the Savior will come. And he will break this veil. He said there's a veil. There's a covering over all the people. The people are in darkness. The people are covered with sin. The people are in bondage. But Christ is going to tear off the covering. He's going to burst forth into light, into joy, into gladness, into redemption. He's going to declare salvation. And he's promised us every time we take this meal, says, eat and drink, do this, remember me, remembering that I'm coming to do this again with you. And I will prepare a table of fat things and delicious wine, and you will be glad you showed up. Literally, that I drew you in from all nations, from every nation, tribe, and tongue to be my people. And we will begin an eternity of eternal gladness and joy. That's our Savior. As you take of this meal, remember this feast that Christ wants to have with us. He's the Lord of the banquet. He's the Lord of the feast. He's the Lord of this table. Don't you want that happy Jesus in you? If you don't have Christ in your life, pray with me that, that God, God, I want, I want that Jesus in me. I want what he does. He takes away sin. He takes away gloom. He takes away darkness. He turns my morning into dancing. It sets joy before me. Pleasures forevermore.
Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here that sees Jesus for the first time, the joyful Jesus, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask you, come.